Chapter 4 The man led Scott back around the house, walking two steps ahead with his shoulder thrown back, watching Scott awkwardly look around. You ain't been up this way before, I take it, the man said, nodding at him. Scott didn't answer. He studied the small house. It was in poor shape. There were holes right through the walls. The holes were the size of hammerheads. They reached the front yard and the man stopped at the big wheeled pickup and threw back the deer hide hanging over its rear window. He fished around in the cab with one arm while the other cradled the rifle. He was a strange man. He seemed too relaxed for a guy living by himself out in the sticks. The man pulled a book wrapped in a plastic bag out from inside the truck and pulled the hide back over the window. He handed the book to Scott. Again, Scott asked nothing, thinking his chance to leave would come sooner with silence. She came with this, the man said, pointing to the book. You said you wanted all of it, and that's all of it. The wrench and the book. She's inside. Let's go. Scott didn't give the wrapped book a glance, figuring he'd have plenty of time to inspect it while driving the fuck out of this place at a high speed. They stepped onto the porch, and the man leaned his rifle against the doorframe. No weapons beyond this point, he said firmly. I don't allow guns in my house. Scott touched his chest where his own gun protruded from beneath the leather. I'd like to keep mine with me if you don't mind. The man spat right on Scott's boots. Thing is, I do mind, he said. Put your goddamn pistol on that step. The energy between them had shifted. The man wasn't kidding. Scott pulled his gun out and laid it down on the top step of the porch. The man kicked it into the grass and then touched the handle of the screen door. You can grab it on your way out. I ain't gonna take it from you. Scott made note of where the gun had landed in the yard, but said nothing. He stood without expression, inches behind the man, holding up the wrench and the book. The man swung open the screen door and pushed open a second, holding it for Scott to enter first. After you, he said. The house smelled of dog and dog shit. It was a sickening sight as well. This was the kind of place no human would want to know existed. Scott entered quickly, but soon stopped dead to look around. The room was decorated entirely in blood and gore. Nailed to the walls and ceiling were the organs and entrails of every kind of creature in these woods. The ceiling dripped with strands of black blood sliding down from stomachs and intestines strung across the overhead light fixtures like streamers of ribbon. The small ones were held up by thumbtacks, while the larger, thicker ones were tied together in crude knots and wrapped from one end of the room to the other. Hearts, livers, and lungs lay all along the rotting furniture. Some were tossed like pillows along the backs of chairs. Others were stacked three high in corners or smushed between books on shelves. There was skin, too the transparent layer that separates the hide from the muscle. This was flung over most things in the room. Lamps glowed dimly from beneath rumpled piles of it. Other longer pieces spilled across the hardwood floor like rugs. There were flies everywhere. Big, black, saggy-bellied flies buzzing around and bumping into each other, drunk on bile. 
Tiny baby flies moving in big schools like floating dust. Dead flies lied on their backs in the dirt and among the remains of other long-since-dead flies. The healthy flies sucked at the organs, dipping their pointed mouths into the rich pools of blood while nestling softly between rows of veins. The odor became overwhelming as the man closed the door behind him. Scott sniffed the air and swallowed a mouthful of tiny insects. He gagged and spat up. The man patted him on the back. Scott held his breath and looked around, horrified. The walls were made of bones all glued up like tile. They'd been carved and cut to fit into strange, swirling patterns. Framed pictures hung from these walls as if they were just ordinary walls. The pictures were ordinary pictures. Pictures of old folks. Pictures of the man holding a fish he'd caught. There were even pictures of smiling children. The bones covered all the windows. It was dim and still. Scott took it all in, lifting his head to the ceiling and tracing the patterns along the floor and walls. It was all arranged somehow, but Scott couldn't decode their intended shape. He shook his head. Nobody wants the insides, the man said, looking around proudly. They just pay me for the outsides. I don't get any money for the insides. Figure why throw them away. Scott turned and looked the man in the face. What is all of this, he asked. The man looked at him and laughed. Well, I thought you of all people would have liked it, he said. It's a shrine. Scott didn't like the man's eyes. He needed to get out quick. This was no place to be held up in. He sensed doom and pain. He sensed a darkness far darker than he'd ever imagined. It pulsated in the air and poured into his ears like cream. Where is she? Scott asked impatiently. I've got to get going. His voice had become mechanical, his words automatic. He darted his eyes around the room, clutching the book and wrenched to his chest. There you go demanding, the man grunted. That's the attitude I've been expecting. Have it your way. No tour, I guess. You want to take her and go, then take her and go. She's in the kitchen. It'll take the two of us to carry her out. You figure she'll fit in that little car you brought? She'll likely die if you stick her in the trunk. The man stepped into the kitchen. The tile floor was littered with filth and pellets of dog food that popped and crumbled beneath their boots. Scott followed the man and stopped where he was told. At their feet, pushed into a corner beside the refrigerator, was a large wire kennel with a ragged towel draped over it. The man threw back the towel and tossed it aside. Scott looked down into the cage, more confused than he'd been all day. He held his breath, backstepping in a stumble. She was not human, but more human than animal, as wild and mad-eyed as a dog, but delicate as a girl all at once. She was small and thin and stood on her hands and knees, curling her fingers through the cage walls, hissing at the man as he stood over her. She had the arms and legs of a girl with small breasts, but her neck was the width of her shoulders, and bulging from it was the head of a beast. Her round face was covered in black hair and framed by a mane of dreads. She had a snout that came to a snubbed end, 
her eyes were wide apart and set far back by her pointed ears. The eyes were black, but shimmered purple, and her skin was bone white. Aside from her face and neck, she was hairless. She clawed at her cage, staring out at the two of them. She was a creature unlike anything Scott had ever seen, but she was beautiful somehow, mesmerizing. Scott knelt beside the cage and let her breathe onto his face. She was calming down at the sight of him, the way a dog would, panting with her tongue loosely dangling at the side of her mouth. Scott reached a hand toward her, but she retracted in fear, curling herself into a ball and tucking her arms and legs beneath her. The man kicked the cage, but she remained still. Like I told you over the phone, the man said, gazing down at her, this is just like I found it. Tell me again, Scott said, standing up and interrupting. Tell you what, the man asked. Tell me again how you found her. The man looked at him a little confused, but obliged. Well, he began, sucking his teeth. I was hunting up by the pass, over by the fairway hills, just beyond the dune. I had my sight on a doe about 40 meters out. It was off-season, but I don't give a rat's ass. I had the barrel pointed right down the spine, waiting for it to move some for a clean shot, when I heard a sound. It's quiet in that area, almost too quiet. The deer can hear you breathe. I heard a hissing from high up in a tree over my shoulder. So I gave up on the doe and turned around, thinking it was a snake coming for me. I dislike snakes. But when I looked up, she was crawling down a branch, slowly coming at me with one of her pretty little hands. I was petrified at the sight of her. She's a lot to take in. It was daylight then, otherwise I would have thought it was a dream, a nightmare, whichever. But I could feel the heat of the sun as her face eclipsed it from up in that tree. She was clocking me like a panther, stalking my stillness, rolling her shoulders, lurking down the tree trunk like a cat. She got close, almost too close, before I whacked her with the butt of my gun and knocked her out cold. She didn't break nothing in the fall, if that's what you're asking. I drug her back and stuck her in the kennel. She's been there ever since. Scott had a lot of questions, but he went over them in his head before speaking. And the book? Scott asked. Like I said on the phone, the man continued, it fell out of the tree with her, fell right on me. I wrapped it in the plastic bag myself, figured in case of rain. The wrench is just for the kennel. I bolted it all closed. You gotta use the wrench to get it open. She's held in there tight because of what she did to my arm. The man kicked the cage and grinned. The creature did not react. She'd gone unresponsive. What happened to your arm? Scott asked. The man chewed his lip and smirked. She bit me, he said. I didn't want to tell you, but when I was putting together the cage, she came to and bit down on my arm. She only drew a little blood before I whacked her again, this time with the wrench. I don't think it taught her nothing. She still gets angry and growls at the walls, claws at the cage when she's awake. But don't go lowering your price just because I whacked her a few times. I already told you about it on the phone, so you can't play dumb with me and argue it now.
Besides, she's fine. I didn't hurt her any. How long has she been in a cage? Scott asked. Just since you called me, the man replied. I drug her home and turned the last bolt on it just as the phone rang. I ain't had a phone call in a long while. I almost forgot I had the thing. It was buried behind the couch like everything else in this place. Just as I locked up the kennel, the phone rang. I answered it before she woke up. You were on the other line, breathing heavier than a pissed bull. I thought you were going to reach through the phone and strangle me by the way you were breathing. And what did I say? Scott asked. The man stopped smirking and looked at the floor. He seemed disturbed by this question, like he was uncomfortable with Scott's tone. He drew his arms up to his chest and held himself, staring at the ground. You told me who you were, he said, and that I'd found something that belonged to you. You told me you respected the laws of found property and that you were pleased I'd not killed her or done anything else to her, but that you would be arriving to take her back and that you would reward me if she was kept safe until then. How long has it been? Scott asked. I'm not certain, the man said. The nights go on for a long time now, and the days don't seem to end either. I honestly don't know. I don't understand, Scott said, looking the man in the eye. That's the thing, the man confessed. I think I've been affected by the bite. That first night, I woke up like I was in a dream, but it wasn't a dream. That's when the bones started to go up on the walls in here. I had all these organs and entrails piled up in a cellar over the years for no better place to put them. When that first moon came up, my mind started to slip, and I'd wake and walk out back naked and bring up armfuls of this shit, flinging it all over the place and smearing it into my skin. I was conscious the whole time, but my body was not listening to my mind. That's the best way I can put it. I'd get out of bed and wander back there and down those steps, feeling trapped in my own skull while my arms did these horrible things. My body would writhe in the blood, kicking like a baby. She'd watch me from her cage, watch me with her purple eyes till the sun sparkled through that single crack I'd left for her. The man pointed to the only sliver of daylight shining through the wall behind her cage. She'd block that daylight till she wanted me to feel it, he said. Then when it came, I got my arms back. Then a little while later, I'd get my legs back. I'd run out and pose myself off and sit in the grass thinking over what I'd seen through the night, what I'd watched myself do. I knew you were coming to take her away and I wanted that soon. I was getting afraid. That's why I finally did what you told me to do. I finally followed your instructions, and sure enough, you came just like you said you would. And what did I tell you to do? Scott asked, struggling to play along. You saw it out back, the man said. You said to burn it alive. I couldn't bring myself to do it at first, but I started to worry that if I didn't do it, you wouldn't find the place. So I made the pit, tied it up, and skewered it the way you told me to. Then I burned it alive. It burned for hours before it died. You of all must know that. Scott decided he didn't want to ask what the man had burned. And just like you promised, the man continued, 
It was nearly to ashes when I heard you pull up. I'd forgotten the wrench down in the cellar. That's why I was down there in the dark. I forgot to pull the light, too. I was a little scared, was all. I wasn't really hiding, just a little scared at what you might look like. So I guess I was kind of hiding. I'm sorry about that. But I was surprised to see you took on a familiar form for me. I was worried you'd want to scare the shit out of me. You told me to not be afraid of you, but I couldn't help thinking what you were going to look like. And now here you are, the devil himself, wearing a leather jacket and carrying a gun. They couldn't have done it better in a movie. I'd have thought you were even older by the voice on the phone, but then again, it's an old phone. So how about seeing that 500? Scott dug in his pocket and pulled out his wallet. Without a word, he counted out the money in $100 bills, folded them up, and handed them over. The man took the money and counted it again before tucking it into the breast pocket of his coveralls. Right then, the man said with a sigh, I'll help you carry her to your car if you think she'll fit, unless you want to take her without the cage, though I don't know how you could. I want the cage, Scott said, growing impatient. The man looked at him oddly. You don't seem nearly as scary as I thought, he said. You almost seem afraid of her as me. I find that odd. You sure you know what you're doing? Scott was almost caught. His lie was slipping. Don't question me, Scott grumbled. The man dropped his eyes to the floor and quickly changed his attitude. All right then, he said, looking over the creature a final time. I spoke out of line and I apologize. Please forgive me. I'll help you carry her to your car and that'll be that. I'll mind my own business. The rude tone had worked. Scott was relieved. He bent down and together they drug the cage through the kitchen and out into the living room, snagging it on several bits of gore before they reached the front door. The creature curled itself into a ball and stared up at Scott. Scott couldn't help but stare back. The man pulled open the door and propped it with a boot. Then he and Scott hoisted the cage chest high between them and stepped down the porch and over to Scott's car. Then they set it down so Scott could dig for his keys. The creature continued to watch him as he did this. Its expression was almost lustful. It paid no attention to the man. Its eyes were locked on Scott. Scott pulled out the set of keys the man had tossed him earlier, forgetting where they'd come from. They were in the lock, the man said, pointing to a small padlock dangling among her wild mane. It hung from a collar Scott had not noticed until now. I took them out right when I found her, the man said. You didn't mention no collar or keys over the phone, but I figured you'd want her just the way I found her. And that's the way I found her. Except those keys was hanging out of that lock on her collar at first. But I figured it'd be best to keep them aside like I did. Scott just nodded and put the keys back in his pocket. Then he pulled out his own set and unlocked the passenger door. They reclined the seat as far as it would go and then lifted her inside. The cage almost didn't fit. Scott had to give it a few firm shoves, which made the creature hiss and stir. He wedged her snugly into the cab and closed the door. Then he turned and thanked the man for his help 
but quickly rounded the car and opened his door to climb behind the wheel. Wait, the man pleaded. Aren't you going to tell me my future? Scott just looked at him. Out of everything the man had said, this was the strangest. Scott had no reply. So he just stared at him without expression. The man began to tear up. Right then, the man muttered, his words gurgling into a sob. I burned it for you, and you've still got nothing to tell me. I deserve that nothing, I suppose. Scott looked away, staring at the house and taking it all in a final, terrifying time. He noticed his gun still lying in the grass. He walked over, picked it up, and shoved it back into his jacket. Then he climbed in his car and started his engine without giving the man a parting word. He whipped the car around and drove slow down the path until he reached the turn by the tree. Then he sped up and drove out of sight. The man listened to his engine fade away and then fell to his knees, holding his face in a fit of tears, finally aware of what he'd done. Scott pulled out of the woods and back onto the road. He took a left at a junction he'd originally missed. He glanced up into his rearview mirror and watched the line of trees and brush disappear. Then he looked over at her lying in the cage. She'd gone to sleep. The breath was heavy. He looked up the road and read several signs for approaching gas stations. There would be a small town in no time. Hopefully, he could find a motel. He was getting tired.